This episode is dedicated to all the dreamers out there who ever picked up a camera and said, hey, let's make some magic. And welcome to My American Friend, a podcast about my American friend. We'll talk about whatever topic comes to mind. It's free thought, free association, religion, politics, food, COVID-19, not necessarily in that order, of course, as a way of gaining an insight and an understanding into someone else's life, particularly during this most challenging of times. It's a way to connect. I want to know what's happening outside of my sphere of influence. So yeah, I guess 15,000 kilometres or 9,000 miles away, I felt, was a good place to start. Why? Well, I blame my dad. He introduced me to Alastair Cook's Letters from America. I was always fascinated by that, although in this case I'm from Australia, but I'm speaking to someone from America. I digress. Please, sit back, relax, grab yourself a VB or a Schlitz, or in my case, an ice-cold Coca-Cola, and I hope you enjoy listening to My American Friend. A word of warning and an apology to our listeners. The audio quality of this podcast is currently nowhere near what we are aiming for. The idea was conceived in a perfect world, however, it is being executed in an imperfect environment. The shiny, soundproofed studio we use is currently unavailable due to lockdowns and curfews. But we weren't about to say to our esteemed guests, sorry, ladies and gentlemen, speak to you next year. So we improvised, adapted, overcame, begged, borrowed and stole, uh, bought new equipment and installed it in the only place I knew I could gain unfettered 24-7 access to, my garage. So, here I am, sitting on a coil heater in this red brick echo chamber, looking up at the tin roof, hoping that it doesn't rain. Thank you for your patience. Please bear with us. This too shall pass. I'm speaking with my American friend, Eric! Hey, Hey, man, we finally make it happen. How are you? (laughs) I'm great. I'm great. Uh, Top of the morning to you. (laughs) The rest of the day to you. (laughs) As the Irish would say, we're neither neither of us are Irish, but, you know, international (laughs) flavor. Thank you so much. Oh, thank you for having me. I'm I'm uh, honored to be asked. It's uh, it's such strange times. Uh, helps me talk about it. Yeah, well, that was the um, the impetus behind uh, this this idea of mine. Yeah, yeah, I uh, I really respect that. Uh, world would be a better place if more folks were interested in something outside of their own immediate uh, surroundings. Um, does this find you safe and well at the moment? It does. It does. Uh, you know, life always is uh, uncertain, but um, I'm, uh, I'm strangely at peace in the midst of these uh, most strange times in the world and in America. One of, one of the most horrendous uh, hurricanes that has ripped through, although now I believe it's downgraded to a tropical depression. But it was, it was a bit of a close call, I think. It, it threw an extra oh, yeah. eight inches of rain across... Louisiana, Mississippi, Arkansas, although it hit Texas more, I think. Did you, what did you experience of that? Uh, well, we were, we were spared where I am. I, um, I live in Mississippi, mm-hmm. uh, which is in the southern part of the United States. 
and uh, right by the Gulf of Mexico. In fact, grew up right across the street from it. And growing up here, we always, hurricanes are kind of a way of life. Um, <laughs> we were, we're used to them, you know, and most hurricanes are like, you know, uh, all right, you lose power for two weeks and chainsaw tree branches in your front yard and you're good. Um, we were spared this time to answer your question, but uh, I was here for Katrina and uh, I, so I know firsthand it wasn't always so. Uh, yeah, saw my mom's house in which we, we did Raiders um, shot. It was kind of like Raiders each HQ. You know, we thought we were going to lose the house. It was so gutted. But we recovered. Uh, and uh, so, but this time um, we were spared. Uh, our, our neighbors in Louisiana and Texas um, got a battering, but I understand the storm dissipated fairly quickly, so I don't think it was a Katrina for them. But it's, but yeah, I mean, uh, what strange times. It seems like, uh, whether it's hurricanes or, uh, or uh, obviously COVID-19, the virus, uh, yeah. and uh, of course, you know, the political uh, divided house that America is uh, these days, it's, uh, it's uh, just day-to-day is different uh, of course isn't it but no, uh but uh it's str- it's strange like katrina it kind of reminds me of katrina where you know the extreme circumstances bring out people into greater relief you know um you see the best in people and you see the worst in people i just want to give my listeners a bit of a bit of a an insight into uh, Mississippi now it's it's a, a southern US state uh, the Mississippi rivers to the west the state of Alabama's to the east the Gulf of Mexico that Eric mentioned to the south the Mississippi Delta wow wow what can you say about the Mississippi Delta the, if anyone <laughs> has even the most remote appreciation of, of music um, mm. and art uh, you've got the Delta Blues Museum there in Clarksdale so many places to visit in terms of uh, Civil War history, the Vicksburg National Military Park that preserves the site there. Uh, the capital of, of Mississippi is Jackson. The governor's Tate Reeves. As of the 2019 census, there was just shy of three million people. But Eric, Eric, you were born in... Actually, California, but I moved here where, when I was two. In, in essence, I, I am a native Mississippian, yes. And um, okay. what's, uh, what's kind of uh, peculiar about... Uh, Mississippi of, of the 50 or so states of America is that it is um, statistically more people have in Mississippi either stay there uh, as they grow up or leave and then come back. Um, I fall into the latter category. I, you know, I, yeah, I grew up here. I went to New York, uh, New York University's uh, film school when I was 18. So moving from small town to Manhattan was uh, a jolt. And I lived in L.A., Oh. I lived in, or <laughs> I lived uh, for like eight years, uh, New York for five, uh, Las Vegas for five, Orlando, Florida for five. You know, after the documentary came out on Netflix, we did a 65 city tour, not knowing where we would land and uh, decided, yeah, you know, what you're looking for is kind of in your backyard sometimes. So yes. I, I, about two years ago, I, I officially returned to Ocean Springs and yeah, it's, um, it's uh, such a, uh, a, as I say, a peculiar, unique place in uh, in the United States um, for oh, for many reasons. Yeah, I'm I'm here and and by choice, uh, I like to say. <laughs> well, the depth and the breadth of art, music, film that that's come out of of, of oh, yeah. I mean, well, uh, 
Wow, it, yeah. It seems to be You've missing. done your research, Val. Thank yeah, you for, yeah. for oh, appreciating that. It, it's a, it's a incredible. I mean, it, it also seems to be that just about everybody with the most famous of, and you know when you you know when you've made it when people refer to you by one name only. <laughs> so, <laughs> right. God, who's come out there? Brittany, Oprah, Brandy, uh, a fellow that uh, his first name started with E. I can't quite remember. Uh, oh, Elvis, yes. Yes. Um, ah. Anyone that's right. got a, an appreciation of playwrights, one of my favourite playwrights, Neil Simon, who, who wrote his semi-autobiographical uh, play, um, Biloxi Blues. Right. Uh, which they turned into a rather fine film with, with uh, Christopher Walken and, uh, and Ferris Bueller. Jim Henson's come from out of there. You've got the Jimmy Rogers mm -hmm. Museum there. There is, I just want to check, because I like to do this, the weather. The weather in Ocean Springs, <laughs> Mississippi, USA at the moment. Partly cloudy, 30 <laughs> degrees centigrade, which is 86 degrees Fahrenheit. Precipitation, 16%. Humidity is 78%. And the wind is wow five miles per hour, so that's about eight eight kilometers. Can I ask you, Eric, if yeah. you were to turn around now where you are to give us a sense of where you are, what what do you, what would you look at? What are you seeing if you were to turn around in your space and three hundred and sixty degrees? What would what could you tell us? Hmm. In terms of what I see, well, yeah. if I step outside. And wearing my glasses, the aforementioned humidity will fog my glasses <laughs> immediately. <laughs> so I'd have to take my glasses off, but once I do that, uh, I see blue sky, oh. gorgeous white clouds, green, green trees everywhere. It's a special place here, uh, even though it is uncomfortable as hell, even in, in the summer. Um, mm. What with this wall of humidity, uh, when I moved to Las Vegas, I actually got dandruff of the eyebrows. Oh. So <laughs> my body was so accustomed to living in a subtropical environment. And you know, when it was around that time that we decided to do the airplane scene, which of course calls for a desert airfield, and oh, yes. even though it would have made more sense to shoot it in the desert there in Nevada, in the desert part of the United States. Uh, we decide to move down this uncomfortable, uh, humid place and uh, be around nonsensically have uh, green pine trees in the background and yeah. the distance. But even though sometimes it's, it's challenging, um, I don't know. I think this is a special place. Like you said, uh, my creative wellspring is here. Like you said, Elvis is from here, mm. Tennessee Williams. Hell, oh. the character of Hannibal Lecter was created yes. in... Mississippi by uh, Thomas Harris, Thomas who's Harris. a native Mississippian, you know, um, Robert Jackson sold the soul to the devil legend says yeah, the crossroads uh, and remains one of the amazing blues people. I don't know. Maybe it's something in the soil and the energy of the place that I've, I've become the older I get, the more I reflect that places, you know, um, uh, influence us. And, and, and uh, I think it's because we grew up here, you know, it's easier to imagine being Indiana Jones swinging from a vine if there's trees <laughs> in your backyard as opposed to, you know, uh, an overgrown parking lot, you know, yeah. and, uh, and buildings, you know. For all its problems, for all its, its uh, uh, shameful history, uh, mm. for all its, for all its uh, uh, flaws there, are, I love this place. And, um, and that's why I'm, I'm here um, 
it's this heat that wakes you up and and keeps you moving. That helps too. John Grisham can't, can't, comes to mind. Yeah, well. I think John Grisham. I love I love this stuff. Yeah, listeners, Ocean Springs. It's a it's a city in Jackson County, Mississippi, United States. Yep, uh, approximately two miles east of uh, Biloxi, which we mentioned earlier on. Uh, and I've got to ask you about this, but um, it, it's part of the. Uh, I hope I get this pronounced correctly. Pascagoula, Mississippi. Uh-huh, wow, Pascagoula River, which is one of the great last unspoiled rivers in America. Uh, mm-hmm. The mayor is yeah. Shea Dobson, population as of 2018, 17,000. Yeah, we've mentioned uh, Raiders, uh, but there'll be a bit of fan love coming your way at, uh, at the end of this. A few questions. <laughs> what was it like for now? What was it like um, growing up in Mississippi? Well, you know, I uh, I was really lucky. I um, Even though... We grew up in this uh, this big rambling house across the street from the Mississippi Sound, which is, uh, you know, the uh, the water. You know, it's not an, an ocean, but it's a sound they call it, uh, mm-hmm. with uh, barrier islands in view. Um, and I would bicycle around town. You know, if you you see um, things, you know, American TV shows like Stranger Days, uh, uh, Stranger Things, rather Stranger they. Things. Uh, they got the 80s right, and, you know, growing up in a small Mississippian town um, where uh, everyone, it seems, knows each other. Um, mm-hmm. It is uh, really grateful to grow that up, uh, grow up that way. In fact, you know, that's one of the many reasons why I chose to be here. I'm, I'm a father myself now, and, and I have a son, uh, 16, a wow. daughter, 14, and now they're they're growing up in that same town. Um, and I'm, you know, sure, it's not the same in the 80s, but it is, uh, I'm, I'm glad that they get to experience um, this way of life, which is a bit slower um, and where nature isn't tamed to submission quite so much. The wealth and the depth and the breadth of that creativity that sprung out of Mississippi, again, Elvis... Uh, uh, oh, the artist that I was thinking of before, uh, Walter Inglis Anderson. Beautiful. Yes, artist. yes, yes. Uh, and in Biloxi, uh, the Mad Potter, as they call him, George Orr as well. Um, but uh, but you're absolutely right. Uh, Ocean Springs, more than Biloxi. And by the way, kudos on getting the pronunciation right. Oh, um, it is, uh, it's something of an artist colony, uh, it's considered. A lot of, uh, there's art festivals and, uh, you know, where local artists sell their wares on the front lawn of the uh, local the town community center, um, you know, that's, which I, I, I ran for a period when I came back to my hometown uh, before I like came back before and left and came back. <laughs> um, but, uh, you know, I was running actually the, my hometown's local nonprofit center um, for three years. And uh, so uh, wore a lot of hats and, and yeah, got to know the artists in the community here. And yeah, there's a, a flowing undercurrent of creativity here. My daughter picking up on it, she's discovered music. I'm not musical. It's, um, those are the joys, you know. Um, their trade-off, of course, is less job opportunity. Um, thankfully, I'm done with video games, so I, uh, I don't. <laughs> ah, I was gonna ask <laughs> I, you about that. I no longer want to work for, uh, you know, that. I've, um, where I'm at in my life, um, there's no place I'd rather. Elvis and you had Robert Johnson and you had all that creativity. Was there any pressure there to 
to, to follow in that footstep, so in, in those footsteps, so to speak, as a an artist, an author, a filmmaker, a musician, so on and so forth? Oh, what a great question. Uh, for those aren't aware, Mississippi is known in the rest of America as kind of like uh, the place where the that is most racist of, mm. of the American South. And so what I encountered when through Raiders, I began to travel all around the country for, you know, and screened my, my film for over a decade. Uh, I'd be like, Hey, I'm from Mississippi. And some folks would, I would see, they'd make assumptions like, Oh, so you're racist, right? It's like, no, I'm, I'm not. So if anything, um, I was blissfully free of such artistic pressure. Um, more I found was uh, actually trying to be a representative of the place where I, I came from saying, no, actually um, the reality is I see more racism in the North part of America, um, you know, equally so than unfortunately the South has no, no monopoly uh, on such a thing. So it is uh, uh so no, um, free of that. Uh, if anything, Mississippi, sometimes uh, the state had a campaign reminding uh, the rest of the nation of its artistic, uh, rich artistic heritage. Mm. Um, and, uh, you know, the, uh, the tagline, I love it. Um, yes, uh, you know, some of us can read, some <laughs> of us can even write. <laughs> and listed photos of Tennessee Williams, Eudora Welty. Oh. <laughs> You know, and these these giants of of the literary world say nothing of musical. Yeah, yeah this, uh, this uh, stereotype of the toothless, ignorant redneck. Um, mm. You know, or or uh, hillbilly driving his, his rusted pickup truck. Um, and there are such such people in my home state. It's more. I live on the the coast, and coasts tend to be more cosmopolitan. I find. And, you know, as you drive further inland, kind of see the decades roll back. Hence that, that uh, reminding of uh, that kind of puncturing the stereotype of, uh, of us as ignorant. Um, and, yeah, uh, there's much to be uh, proud of um, in terms of, of that. But uh, no, no artistic pressure there. Can I please yeah. talk to you about food? Mississippi, food. <laughs> Absolutely, please. Uh, 90 minutes away is New Orleans, and it's oh, got its, wow. you know, its, its Cajun-themed dish, you know, Cajun from the when the French came over and kind of melded that culture. Here, where I grew up, uh, I was very, it was very pleasing when the documentary crew came through here and stayed, and I got them hooked on the, the local cuisine, uh. which is, huh, of all things, a fried shrimp po' boy, uh, uh, yes. which a po' that's a type of, foot-long sandwich with a special pressed bread and mayo, lettuce, and delicious uh, fried shrimp, and a Barks root beer in the bottle. Um, wow. Barks root beer is a, a wonderful soda that was uh, originated in Biloxi and was bought by the Coca-Cola Corporation that started here. So documentary guys, uh, I got them hooked. <laughs> I, I, I remain proud of that. <laughs> Incredible. Mary Mahoney's is like almost, it's like 130 years old, which is a fantastic uh, old restaurant in Biloxi, known for its uh, uh, gumbo. Um, and uh, in fact, 
John Grisham uh, mentions the place in his books, and as a result, they they send him a big vat of gumbo every year. So that's uh, when uh, when I was ready to take the documentary guys to a nice meal. Uh, that's where I took them. May I ask you about soul food? Now, when people speak of soul food, we think of fried chicken, fried okra, uh, yeah, biscuits and gravy, things that come out of Mississippi that are instantly recognizable. Two of them in particular, catfish, cornbread. Yeah. <laughs> yes. Oh, what do I think? I, I love it. There's um, the there's gigantic catfish farms in Belzoni, Mississippi, which is um, in the Delta. Oh. Um, as uh, and that uh, to drive through this flat place, it's one of the the poorest place uh, in Mississippi, and Mississippi is the poorest state in the nation, and yet. Mm. It's funny that out of such um, scarcity, yeah, um, great culture, music, the blues, great food, food, yeah, cornbread, catfish. Uh, to that, I would add uh, collard greens, uh, black-eyed peas. Those are some of the, the things which are are uh, thought of as, um, you know, uh, like black food uh, originally, and, and folks have it's caught on. And and, and uh, there's uh, my favorite soul food place in town is Nana's uh, Nana J's Soul Food Kitchen, where I have a um, catch up with uh, with an old friend um, every so often. And they've got yeah, the the catfish is is distinctive, um, and the soul food just uh, gives you energy. It um, you know there's a uh, it's distinctive and and like like no place. Uh, you don't always appreciate it when you're there, and it's mm. sometimes later in life when you have perspective that uh, you're truly grateful for it. Apparently, Joe Biden goes for a particular kind of uh, barbecue: pulled pork ribs at Ocean Springs, famous shed barbecue and blues joint. Oh yes, that's right, the shed. Correct. In fact. Get this, Val. There wasn't even uh, a TV show, a TV reality show um, around the shed, which is, uh, as its name suggests, termed kind of like the boondocks of ah, Mississippi, yes. where <laughs> old uh, two-lane roads and uh, <laughs> drive out to the country. Yep. Got some uh, aluminum uh, siding structure. Um, gotten, uh, gotten even national attention that way. Could you please give us a little bit of an insight into the whole golf shrimp concept. Bubba in Forrest Gump, he went on and on about... Well, you know, it's uh, the sound is, uh, as I mentioned, is kind of created, you know, by the gigantic bay. And, and with that, it, this has always been a source of seafood. You know, we actually have down here, of all things, a thriving um, fisherman community, uh, Vietnamese in particular, as well as, you know, immigrants from all, all stripe. Uh, have come out here to catch from the Gulf, and mm -hmm. shrimp has been distinctive. Um, now, it seems like one of the blows at the area, you may be familiar with the Exxon oil spill oh. in the Gulf. Yeah, that, and it, uh, it poisoned the region for, for great, took a long time to uh, recover. Word is that it's recovered now, and uh, and you know, and, and the industry is getting back on its feet. But it has had, um, it's always, uh, you know, that and, uh, and oysters, actually, um, uh, you know, shucking. Uh, there's mm. historical photos of giant mountains of, uh, of oyster shells. 
Um, so, uh, and then floundering and, uh, and all, all manner of things. So, uh, it's, it's been, uh, the, the beauty of that and, uh, resources uh, that nature provided here have been, um, something. And yeah, the, the shrimps, uh, shrimps, one of them, and probably, uh, that's why the fried shrimp po' boy is such a thing. Yeah. Yeah. Can you tell me about <laughs> Mississippi mud pie? Had it as a kid. And it is uh, what you might expect. You know, Mississippi River is known for its uh, rich, uh, muddy surface um, and, uh, and, and corridor. Uh, I, I guess that's what inspired it. Um, yeah. But, but uh, yeah, uh, delicious stuff. Uh, heartily recommend. Zayla, I beg your pardon if I pronounce it correctly. Zayla Zala. Yeah, you got it. Yeah, good job. You got the correct Lithuanian pronunciation there, Val. Uh, Zayla, Zayla Detours. Make the dream real. That is just incredible. Uh, with your thanks, man. Your motivation, your many things, but you're 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 a motivational speaker, and I'll just I'll just put that out there. I don't know. Has it been hard to do that at the at the moment? I mean, when all this blows over, will you continue with that? It's project based learning, and it is just astonishing. Sure, sure. Thank you. I'll I'll do my best. Um, so, my uh, daughter came up with the idea of the name Zayla Detours, which is kind of after this crazy experience. And I know we'll go into it later in terms of having done uh, something that I spent my childhood on. Now is kind of being shared around the the country and. And having had that experience of traveling 65 cities to support the theatrical release of the documentary about mm. our film, um, I gave so many Q and A's after the double feature first, our, you know, the documentary and then the fan film, and people always had questions: How'd you do it? Why didn't you give up over the seven years? And yeah, they seem to really be inspired by our story, and you know. Uh, whether it's like it took us five years to make the boulder and, you know, kids <laughs> persevering, you know. And, and I'm so grateful for that experience because it, you know, you change, you know. We did it from age 12 to, to 19. I learned yeah. a, a, a lot. And in particular, there were teachers, and you know, that would talk, seek me out after I, I got down from the stage after the Q&A. And it's like, wow, I've got to share my film with your your film with my students, you know, and uh, that seemed to be a recurring theme. So I I did speaking engagements following that at schools, um, you know, near and far, and uh, screened the film because that's one of the best things to come out of this. We just did this for fun. We never would have dreamed growing up that it would be discovered, that Spielberg would see it, that oh. they'd be... Uh, I remember how it was when the fire was lit for me, you know, when I was a kid and that theater back in 1981 watching Raiders for the first time and the boulder barreling down on Harrison and having my brain split open and realizing wow I didn't know movies could do this and hell like I in my 50 year old body I still I, I can still feel that you know energy um, and that's if I can share that that's meaningful you know and so uh, but uh, yeah, uh, to circle back to your, you know, 
your your follow-up question how's that impacted now and in, in we were all live in this world of, of masks and COVID-19 and um, social distancing. Mm. Well, you know, it's funny you, you ask that. I mean, I, through the speaking, I, what I do is, you know, I had like a 45-minute uh, presentation, which slides in which I'd get up on stage and share. And I've kind of been working on the past couple years. Um, local library, my hometown library, actually asked me to put a video together. And so I took all my, uh, my presentation, which was I, I, after the tour, I... I tried to distill what I'd learned from the experience into something I could pass on, you know, whether it's to my own kids or anyone else who might benefit from that, who, who was curious to know about these questions. So, yeah. uh, this video that I did for my library, uh, I've been tinkering with and I'm going to release on Facebook sometime soon. Um, and, uh, even if I never do another speaking engagement, I'm a filmmaker by, by nature. And maybe this is the best way I can tell my story even, um, you know, uh, and, uh, and preserve hard won lessons, you know, and, and, and how, um, what helped me and things that I still draw upon when life is challenging for me, you know, that experience of growing up, of working with your friends and overcoming challenges. And, uh, so that's, that's the form it's taking. It's still evolving. And I still, I keep expecting to close the door on this, this Raiders uh, <laughs> thing, but it's, still, it kind of keeps going um uh so yeah look soon i uh, i'm a bit of a turtle a bit of a perfectionist a tinkerer um so i don't know when but sometime uh in the not too distant future i'll make the last few edits i think and and put it out there and um i hope that folks enjoy it and um, feel like they're on the journey a little bit they will take inspiration eric i i guarantee oh, you thanks that. some of your early projects eric can we see them, uh, An Early Twilight and What the River Takes? Oh, oh thank you for asking. Um, and there's actually one other, if you count, Survivors Have It Tough, which is uh, a sixth grade film project <laughs> that uh, you see briefly in the documentary. I actually got asked about that, uh, which is terribly rough, and I wouldn't want the world to see it. It is actually did when I was like, gosh, uh, 11, I think. Wow. Um, in Early Twilight, uh, which for those who don't know, um, and most don't uh, know that actually uh, won some awards as a filmmaker uh, apart from Raiders um, and a film that Chris and I had collab uh, had he helped uh, he acts in um, was nice enough to drive up from Ohio when I was from my NYU film thesis um, which is a 22 minute drama uh, that I wrote and directed uh, about. A young man who has a premature aging disease and beyond either's control, uh, he's married and, and loves his young wife who uh, loves him but is physically repulsed by him. And um, he's uh, at this remote rest home and he sees her slipping away from him. And uh, and so that's an early twilight. Uh, there's um, It did well in the film festival circuit. It won about 20 awards. I got to meet Gene Siskel of uh, Siskel and Ebert uh, and sh shake the man's hand. How might one see it? You know, um, I am, uh, now that life is slowing down and I'm catching my breath from <laughs> doing the airplane scene and, and the tour, um, and now the, this film, I think uh, I'm considering doing a, a proper 16 millimeter transfer and, um, and putting it out there. Uh, uh, so, um, thanks for asking. I, I may do that, um, but, but, uh, but I'm proud of it. Um, oh, thank Eric, you. Oh, Eric, your anthology, it, it could, <laughs> there's a box set. 
Amazon, Amazon Prime. <laughs> well, hey, you know, the other weird thing uh, in all this Raiders thing, in case, uh, well, I guess you probably wouldn't know because we haven't really publicly announced it, but um, there may be there may yes. be a narrative version after all this time of our Raiders story. There's uh, a writer-director out of Austin, Texas, name of Clay Lyford, who um, has some, uh, along with his producer friends in Los Angeles, have been polishing a script for about the past two years. Um, of our story, they'll be going to market with it soon. Um, there's no guarantees that this will happen, but if it does, I think they're actually going to come and shoot it here in my hometown, in my like old high school and the same streets that I rode around a, on a bike as a kid, um, which would be wild. Anyway, if that happens and if it is released, yeah, maybe yeah. early twilight will be a bonus feature on the disc. You asked also about what the river takes. Yes, um, please, yes. So that is, uh, for those who don't know, um, is a story that Chris and I co-wrote um, after Raiders was discovered. And I think it will probably is a project will remain unproduced, um, but it does remain a story that uh, and a universe that I love. It's, uh, get this, a southern gothic action adventure. There's a hybrid genre that you don't see too much of. But uh, for those that are interested on the website, uh, my pencil sketch uh, drawings were converted into concept art. Oh, they're uh, and they're, they're, they're yeah, oh, thank you. You've seen them. Yeah. Wow, I'm looking Thanks. at them now. Escape from Gator Farm, Flea Market Chase. Yes, yes. Wow. Uh, it's, uh, there, there, Val, I think uh, you can really feel the love of the area that I grew up in. Um, the visuals capture... And film and cinema is such a visual medium, of course, above all things. Um, though unproduced, I uh, I still I still love that. Maybe in some way in the future it'll find a, find a form. Uh, I've learned to save life. Uh, you never know. NYU. Could you tell us a little bit about that? Because NYU is is um, much revered. When it came time to look at colleges, uh, you know, I was. You know, 17, 18 in Mississippi, and I. There were two for someone in my situation growing up in America. There were film schools. Uh, yes, uh, NYU and USC are probably the the two top ones. Uh, the East Coast and the West Coast. There's a joke um, about that kind of sums up the aesthetic uh, differences between the two. Any student film made at uh, a West Coast film school that is in California. USC, UCLA, it's got to have a car chase uh, in it, you know. <laughs> the, the stereotype is that West Coast film schools are all crassly commercially focused, and if, <laughs> if NYU uh, film school or Columbia film school, um, it's got to end in a suicide. Artsy-fartsy, uh, you know, um, pretentious, uh, you know. So anyway, uh, neither of those stereotypes are, are completely true, but I, I do see how they're grounded uh, in, in where they come from. Okay. Uh, but but to circle back, um, ultimately I found I'm more probably gravitate more towards the East Coast sensibility. Um, mm -hmm. You know, New York is probably, though I've lived both places, and having lived in a small Mississippi town in, and in New York City and, and Los Angeles, I can't think of two American cities that are so huge and so utterly different. I would not want to live any either place now. I'm grateful for the experience as a young man when I had something to prove to myself, you know, living in such a, a place. But it was, uh, I think, the culture of New York of that, um, it was more 
the fertile ground that I wanted to explore. I didn't want to make the equivalent of Michael Bay movies. I, um, my heroes were, of course, Spielberg, but also Peter Weir, uh, Stanley oh, wow. Kubrick. Um, yeah, oh, yeah, yeah, Australian, yeah. Uh, Picnic at Hanging Rock, um, yeah. wonderful film, which, by the way, we screened uh, at NYU. Um, it's, uh, yeah, I'm, um, and I met some amazing people, and, uh, you know, I, early twilight, uh, I'm, I'm so glad I, I, I went there. It seems like life turns out the way it's, it's supposed to, and um, we uh, shot an early twilight at, in upstate New York, um, nine days Great shoot, which involved, we had a wrecked a Ferrari Testarossa, and there's not even one in the script. Um, but that's another story. <laughs> that's how I, I got accepted to NYU. I was always a, a good student, um, try, you know, straight A's and all that. And so I went to NYU. I majored in film and television production, and I minored in religious studies, of all things. Uh, having grown up um, here in Mississippi, you know, this is kind of the Bible Belt. Yes. And um, I had a girlfriend who was uh, Baptist, and I didn't really know, you know, myself. Um, you know, so I, I, looking back on it, I think I heavily influenced my own beliefs. So that's to say she was Baptist, so I was Baptist. Mm -hmm. um, but um, I was always uh, interested in things spiritual, and uh, and so that's why I... Uh, I delved into to that. But yeah, NYU, good place. Sounds like you know. Uh, it's where Oliver Stone, Spike yes. Lee, the Cohen, the Cohen brothers. Ironically, I went there the same time as Eli Roth, another famous NYU oh. Film School alumni. Ah. Of, uh, <laughs> and who, of course, would go on later to... Uh, the VHS or the Betamax. <laughs> yes, yes. And thanks to Eli, <laughs> six degrees of separation, uh, we're talking, you know, and people know about this film, which wasn't even a rumor on the internet back in the day. <laughs> so, uh, so it's so ironic, Val, but um, I've, I've never been happier, even in the midst of, of, of all this uncertain times and, and fear and, uh, and whatnot. I'm, uh, I draw strength from my family, uh, which has never been ironically never been a healthier dynamic than yeah. than here it, it works uh left hand turn how did you get into video games that was happenstance so after raiders um you know i went to nyu and uh after graduating at nyu and having a a a successful film and paying off my student loans uh and and um, sold my car to pay off an early twilight back in mississippi i decided to move out to los angeles and uh, so, uh, and and for those who are interested in a deeper telling of this, it's it's in the book um, that uh, I moved out there, and then sometime later, Chris uh, moved out there. Uh, I gave him my old apartment, um, and we wound up rooming together. Um, you know, and uh, for a while everything was great, and then uh, I actually went to my ten-year high school reunion. Chris went off to his high school reunion, came back with a stripper who <laughs> he convinced me to let move in. And uh, anyway, just a just a teaser of the drama there. Uh, <laughs> but just to answer your question, in the midst of all that, Chris got a job as a video game tester. Um, got me um, a interview with uh, the guy there who was uh, the head of the testing department. So I was hired on there and did not intend to create a career in video games but i can't do anything half-assed i'm kind of an all-or-nothing guy so without yep. intending to 
I wound up getting promoted and wound up getting promoted to a, pos- a position higher than Chris. And this, as you might expect, led to contributed to what we call the third ice age in our mm-hmm. long, long um, uh, friendship. And to your credit, uh, too, that that is all out there. You've you've all spoken about that. That's it is. It is. Wonderful. And, I mean, it's in the book um, quite quite vividly, and and it's it'll be in the video that I'll be releasing. But I. Even though I, I go into things, uh, yeah, there's there's lots of ups and downs, yeah. Uh, but yeah, that's how I got started in video games, and uh, from there I wound up uh, call from a headhunter, and I wound up moving from elect, uh, from Activision in Los Angeles to managing my own quality assurance department in Florida. That's how I wound up in Orlando for testing American football games, Madden NFL football, and NCAA football, and had my ran my own department of about 200 employees uh, for those for EA Sports uh, oh, or Electronic Arts. Yeah. yeah, it's in the game. <laughs> <laughs> Ironically, I don't even play football, but uh, but we did well. And then in the midst of that, I uh, Raiders got discovered, and uh, so I quit all that and moved back to my hometown the first time. Mm. Uh, oh, but uh, and then took a break from video games, and then. Uh, then after running the local arts nonprofit, which is very rewarding to the community, but um, here's the rub of a small town. I uh, I was poverty level. I could not make enough to really support my family. So I I uh, lived away from my my children and wife for a year and a half, sending paychecks home, working in Las Vegas for another video game company, the one that we pick up on in the documentary. My uh, last big video game was Borderlands 2, uh, which was, I'm proud to say, the most successful video game for 2K games, the the third and last video game company that I worked for. The best part of it is uh, my own kids love the game, and they played the hell out of it. They see Daddy (laughs) list in the credits. I confess... Uh, a satisfaction in that. <laughs> May I talk politics? Absolutely, yeah. I've never talked politics before, but let's go there. The American way of life is being dismantled. Your thoughts on that? Hmm. Wow. It's a big old can of worms, you're right, Val. Um, I'll do my best to, uh, to encapsulate it. So is the American way of life being dismantled? I think America is certainly, as you can see, at a real crossroads. Um, My personal beliefs, and I have been, and let me preface this by saying, um, I have been from religious beliefs, Christian to Buddhist. I have been Republican. I have been Democrat. I do understand the perspective. I grew up in what's known as a red state, Mississippi being a red state, that is, i.e., a Republican state as opposed to a blue state, Democrat. and I, I think that between the two major political parties, um, we are at a crossroads for our, it's not overly traumatic to say, for the country's soul. Mm. Um, what, what we're going to be, as absurd as it sounds, we're on the cusp of either choosing to be a white nationalist state, um, fascist state, uh, or a nation that is inclusive of all its citizens and trying to make a better society, a better civilization, um, you know, in one in which we treat each other with compassion. Um, but yeah, it's going to, November is uh, going to be a crucial time. I have never mm-hmm. been one to divide the world into two buckets. 
but I, I got to tell you, I've never been more tempted to do so. It would certainly seem um, that in the discourse, as through shown social media, I'm on Facebook, and you see the discussions, oftentimes arguments, um, we're house divided. And uh, civil discussion has been made very difficult by the, the flames of anger um, have been fanned high by Trump. Um, and he has uh, always sought to consistently throughout his tenure uh, divide our country and have culture wars. Um, and the real tragic thing is, uh, like the Civil War uh, in our country, fought during Lincoln's time 150 years ago, it divides family against family. I've lost friends uh, through my finally being unable to remain silent any longer and finally speaking up on Facebook. I'm not normally, you know, I, I usually focus on creative things, not political things, but I can't be silent. I've got to say this is wrong, what's going on in our country to our other citizens. And But um, it is uh, it's distressing. In my own family, there's people that I love who think mm -hmm. Donald Trump is great. Um, it has caused family members to disown each other i'm i'm resolute in not losing my relationships through that even and but that's the the tricky thing to cross that line eric bravo uh because Thanks, it's man. it's um yeah haters are gonna hate <laughs> i think is the phrase haters are gonna hate mm -hmm. the first thing that struck me was colin powell oh hold on a minute colin it's not the first uh -huh. time that colin powell has um crossed the line so to speak but but spoken actually Mm -hmm. and being broadcast at the Democratic National Convention. And <laughs> yeah. Yeah, and then, then I saw John Kasich. He said what you referred to, Eric, we're at a crossroads. This is the former governor of Ohio, a Republican. <laughs> it is so extreme. It it's is, so yes. extreme that, yeah, it, even even people are, you know, Republicans, I think, are, some some are sell their souls, it seems, for for personal benefit and whatnot and and then there are some that i think are genuinely moved by all right i can't you know my conscience moves me uh, and then some are are opportunistic but you know that guy got death threats um after that yes this, such is the 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 ire of that so i have a lot of respect for crossing party lines colin powell yeah known as the you know famous american general through the the gulf war and yes. and respected and revered even uh, country music star dolly parton beloved by many of trump trumpsters until she said black lives matter and mm -hmm. all of a sudden they're talking about boycotting her such is the 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 state of this country right now um never has it been so extreme hell uh republican presidents like george bush in you know uh, not endorsing trump and basically endorsing biden and, and and meanwhile trump throws out all the rules of the hatch act and like oh, the hatch you know act. throws a big party on the front lawn of the yes. white house it's and a hatchet to the hatch act. yes exactly which is completely consistent i guess with his uh, acting as though the rules don't apply to him it's fascism you know inciting violence in the streets of portland you know, trying to scare Americans into needing law and order. It's it's the classic fascist playbook mm. uh, that Pu that Putin uh, has, has used so well, and you see in in um, you know in other parts of the world right now, people all over the world it seems are kind of fighting the versions of this fight. That was something that struck me as as particularly interesting, as you mentioned that um, W. 
uh, wasn't um, uh, going to appear, and he probably wouldn't have been welcomed anyway. Eric, let's <laughs> let's let's move on to something else. <laughs> fair enough. Fair enough. <laughs> but uh, um, we, you know, we can't uh, sort of not talk about it. It no. is. It is. It impacts us. Every, you know, every day over here. Yeah. A little word association at you. Sure. Elvis. Right, I'm ready. Mississippi. 2020. Virus. Catfish. Belzoni. <laughs> Sport. Football. Um, so I don't really have a favorite team, but if I if I had to root for someone at the Super Bowl, it would probably be the New Orleans Saints because they are closest to the local team. Movies. Well, maybe because we were just talking about it, but Witness, Peter Weir. Um, I got to show it to my son recently. He's old enough now to appreciate it. Um, I just, uh, one of the greatest things about art, man, you, you uh, sharing it. The Amish. I had no idea. Right, me either. And and yet such such uh, communities really exist. Yeah. Philadelphia area, modern day uh, America. It's uh, it's fascinating. I have the soundtrack. I've um, I got a copy of the uh, screenplay. Um, it's fascinating how the story came to be. Uh, it took um, twenty years to to get it made, and it went through so many different uh, evolutions. Just a perfect film, um, yeah. and uh, patience pays off, and it finally became what it meant to be. Um, originally, it's a TV show at one point. Actually, uh, uh, there was a TV episode which, you know, the same concept got transposed. Um, just like Back to the Future, I think you know it wasn't going to be a DeLorean; it was like a refrigerator or something <laughs> ludicrous, and it would have been terrible. But uh, you know, the bun stayed in the oven long enough, and uh, <laughs> it came out just perfect. Youth. Raiders. Yes. <laughs> um, only because Jim Henson came out of there. The Muppets. Kermit the Frog comes from Mississippi. Yes. Um, I love the Muppets. Uh, you yes. know, certainly in such times, and I I'm, I've certainly have reflected in times of COVID and staying in you know, such things that bring light and joy and uh, make us smile and remind us of that which is good. Puppy dogs, sunshine, Muppets. <laughs> yeah, it makes the list. <laughs> and here it comes. Trump. All right, if I'm being honest, uh, evil. And, you know, I don't really believe human beings. I don't know. I, I struggle that, you know, yeah, okay. Human beings can be evil and uh, and uh, by their choices. Um, so I guess maybe that's why I went there. Okay, Danger Will Robinson, a whole stack of fan love coming your way. <laughs> <laughs> all right, all right, bring it on. Let's go there, let's go there. <laughs> so one of my first jobs is I get a, I'll get to work in a video store. That's why I have a vague memory of everything that that, that uh, Eric and, and his friends did uh, over the years because it just became like this this myth uh, law. But okay, back to 1981, Raiders of the Lost Ark, out it came. 1982, three friends, Eric, Chris, Jason, in the basement of Eric's mum's house, uh, make a shot for shot remake of Raiders of the Lost Ark. Now, so much digital and physical ink has been spilled over this, I really can't add much more to it, but let's just say much hilarity ensued using industrial plaster to make casts. You know, lost a few eyebrows in the process. Uh, fires in the basement. Anyway, uh, Spielberg himself said, quote, the best piece of flattery that George and I have ever received, okay? Uh, unquote. 
it, uh, it, it really was a love letter. That it was. 35 years in the making. Did I get that right? 35 years? <laughs> yeah, that's correct. Yeah. So these gentlemen uh, have since become and remain, in my humble opinion, poster boys for a generation of seat-of-the-pants filmmakers. The, the three of you, uh, Eric, and, and your friends Chris and Jason, what, you, what you've done is, you know, I've got to say, you have created something that uh, has historical, artistic and cultural relevance. That is your legacy. Relevance in those terms. But, you know, what I'm really impressed about more so than anything is that it just doesn't stop there. You continue to share uh, this uh, for, for another generation of young filmmakers. They all come to you and they ask you, oh, how did you do that? And you're magnanimous, magnanimous enough to tell them. Oh, my. <laughs> oh, man, thank you. Thank you, Val, for that. i got to tell you, when we were doing it as kids, if anyone would have had told us that we were making something that was going to last, you know, some footprints in the sand, as it were, we would have, like, laughed. We, at the time, ironically, we had no greater ambition except to finish the damn thing, and that seemed lofty and out of reach. Um but you never know when you're in it what things are, are going to really make an impression on, on your life. I'm, I'm, like I said, I'm so grateful for, um, for having done that uh, then and, yeah, now. Uh, or, you know, getting the, the gang, the band back together again <laughs> after 25 years, <laughs> um, which was, uh, you know, scary in its own way. Um, but, you know, one of the things I learned you know, that didn't change, um, you know, even with the greater resources, but gone were uh, the endless days of summer, you know, and got to be back to work. But one thing that for all the, the differences, but you have to push aside those voices of doubt that tells you it's never going to be any good. It's uh, nobody's going to like you. You're never going to finish it. What's the point? And, you know, and uh, give it the middle finger and push on and do and create. And then in the process of doing you, you forget to be afraid and get lost in the process. I remember being taken to the movies by my dad to see Raiders of the Lost Ark, and I remember how it inspired me. How did it inspire, inspire you, the catalyst, so to speak? I had, prior to that point, um, you know, done class film project, and in doing so got bit by the film bug, and I didn't know it at the time, but I was a creative person looking for a project, but uh, not that I would have put it in such terms. So with that kind of fertile soil I saw in 81, I, I too remember watching it, watching Raiders for the first time on the big screen, being blown away like never before. Then I, I put it aside. I thought, all right, it's just an amazing, exciting movie. You know, I, I wound up borrowing the Raiders of the Lost Ark comic book on the school bus uh, from this kid, Chris, who would go on, of course, to call me later and say, hey, I'm doing this Raiders movie, do you want to help? And thought for all of five seconds, oh yeah, sure, sounds like fun. <laughs> Having no idea what I was getting myself into, uh, and that I was going to be devoting the next, mostly the first seven years, and then, you know, the <laughs> next 35 years, um, <laughs> to this creative venture. I just thought I'd wander on and help. But <laughs> uh, that catalyst, you know, um, I wouldn't have done it on my own. But um, Chris is reaching out, looked me up in the yell on the white pages and reached out to this uh, geeky kid and this this uh, geeky kid and this charismatic class clown game best friends and then Jason joined us this sort of 
eccentric mad scientist of the group and film as you know is inherently a collaborative medium and uh collaboration brings many challenges but also many joys too and uh i think through the um the, the three of us you know uh it that helped you know um and that's kind of uh the the joy of that collaboration of that energy of kind of like we're all in this together you, you know uh, your buddies are working on this too, so you can't let them down. But like I said, uh, its own challenges too. Chris uh, staged an editing room mutiny near near the end with Jason, and we almost didn't finish as we're almost near the the finish line. Yeah. Um, it wouldn't have happened just with one of us either. So, so to hark back to what was the inspiration initially, the movie, and then the the power of an idea and uh, camaraderie and community within you know, sort of sparking off each other and each bringing different strengths to the table uh, mm. can result in creating something greater than you could have done by yourself. And what inspires as well is is the the courage of your conviction. I mean, all those years later, Kickstarter campaign to complete that last scene in the film, $58,000 you raised. That's right, yeah. But you pushed through, you sold your house. Eric, you yeah. bought an RV, you drove through all those cities with your wife, daughter, son, dog. It strikes me is that it, it just wasn't all about you heading off to get another 15 seconds of fame. I just don't see that. I'm sorry, I, I don't buy that. But, you know, this obviously still looms large in your life and you have continued to shine the light. You've, you've made it your mission almost to to continue Spreading that love, sharing that art, blazing that path. Thank you, man. Thank you for that. Um, it was uh, not an easy path, but um, I'm glad I took it. Even, you know, in uh, sacrifices is necessary, as challenging as, as that was, there are more important things in life. And, you know, I'm, I'm grateful for the perspective of, of what's important and mm. playing it safe isn't always i'm i'm really very very fortunate to have a, a a very interesting life and um you know you can't take it with you as they say and the things that we leave behind my uh, son and daughter who rode all in that that metal box that uh, <laughs> oh man the adventures uh where we Drove under a low-hanging bridge, cleared the AC unit off the top, and I could look <laughs> up and see the night sky. Oh, uh, you know. But those are experiences um, I'll have forever with my children, and they will uh, see Cass and I figured uh, a world bigger than we grew up with. And it's been such a, a source of joy for me, this, uh, this crazy thing that uh, shooting this film in my mom's basement that uh. we now get to travel around the world and are showing in. Omaha in uh, Duluth and from Sitka, Alaska to Sydney, Australia. Yeah. Um, and so it's amazing and uh, and so scary sometimes, but that's that's the rub, um, you know, uh, but I'm so glad and it's something that I try to model for my own kids because, uh, yeah, we're uh, none of us are going to be here forever. Um, I like to think and certainly in, in this uh, time of, of COVID and um, anger and everything uh i uh if it can help god that's meaningful well i said it before you you will leave a, a document a, a legacy historic cultural artistic uh it'll enrich and um 
inspire future generations. Eric, may I ask you one last question? Sure. Where, where to uh, from here for you, sir, in the next, let's say, 12 months? Hmm. You know, right now, um, my life has been about, uh, you know, different different things uh, call to us in different parts in our life. Right now, it's after the 65 City Tour and, and, um, and letting the dust settle from this crazy experience of having my life being a documentary and everything. It's been about healing. It's about recovery. And over the past couple of years, it's been about building capacity back. And uh, there's nothing I know that is harder than making a film. Mm. Um, it takes so much out of you, uh, creative ventures. And, and yet, I find myself beginning to dream again. And uh, won't be Raiders related, though. <laughs> <laughs> Maybe it's being back in my hometown and being again in the midst of this wonderful southern Gothic environment. Maybe it's being around my slowing down and spending time with my children and reminding me of, you know, what really excites me and makes me happy. Corporate life, don't miss it for a second. I won't mm. be returning to that in the next six months. Yeah. You know, I uh, I don't have to have a lot to be happy. I have everything that I need in my life to be happy. Next 12 months is going to be, you know, I'm going to see where that leads me. You know, there is so much uh, goodwill um, locally and, and internationally. It's attractive to me as a filmmaker. You need lots of resources to make a film. And so... Yes. It's kind of tempting to begin daydreaming about that, and I, I have. Um, so maybe I'll do that, or maybe I will spend the next four years spending as much time with my kids before they disappear into college. <laughs> I'm going to follow my heart and um, try to live according to my values. We'll see. The world will be a better place for you following your heart. Thank you so much for your time, Eric. Oh, it was a pleasure to talk, Val. Thank you. Hopefully uh, one day I can... Make it over there and um, yeah, buy you a beer. I would love that. Hey, stranger things have happened. I, I would. It, it, nothing worth having necessarily is easy, but it's worth it. Um, Absolutely. So <laughs> we made it. We made it. Thank you, brother. I uh, thank I, you. I'm grateful also to to know you and, and have a friend on the other side of the world. Uh, I hope we get to uh, hope our cross our paths cross and I can uh, buy you a uh, shrimp po' boy and a. Mark's root beer in the bottle. <laughs> Amen to that. You and the family, Eric. Stay safe. Thanks, man. Notes, topics of interest, and further reading. My American friend Eric mentioned NYU. Since its founding in 1831, New York University has been an innovator in higher education. Now among the largest private universities in the US, NYU provides a rigorous, demanding education to more than 50,000 students and undertakes nearly $1 billion in research annually boasting more creative alumni than you can throw the proverbial clapperboard at. One of them, writer, director, producer, etc, etc, Ely Roth in 2002 had obtained a well-worn copy of the Raiders adaptation and aimed to get it screened at that year's Buttonumathon film festival he was so impressed by it. And it was so well received by the audience that when the film was stopped for the Lord of the Rings premiere, the audience reportedly booed, wanting to see the rest of Raiders. The film has a rare 100% rating on Rotten Tomatoes. 
Eugene Cal Siskel, aka Gene, is arguably the one other person who can be credited with changing the face of journalistic film criticism. Along with colleague Roger Ebert, he hosted a series of popular movie review programs on television from 1975 until his death in 1999. Thumbs up, thumbs down, we'll see you at the movies. Eric mentioned various American video game companies. Electronic Arts Incorporated, headquartered in Redwood City, California. It is the second largest gaming company in the Americas and Europe by revenue and market cap after Activision Blizzard, based in Santa Monica, California, with 2K based in Novato, California. Think Plants vs Zombies, Madden NFL, Borderlands or NBA 2K. If you played it, they probably made it. Boondocks, an informal noun meaning rough or isolated country. This place is out in the boondocks. You'll never get here by bus. The Amish have been in America for a long time. The first ones arrived in the early 18th century to escape religious persecution in Europe and to find land to farm. The sect arose from a late 17th century schism in the Anabaptist church by followers of Jacob Amman, a Swiss minister who believed that adherents should conform to the teachings of Christ and his apostles and forsake the world in their daily lives. The word Amish derives from his name. You could do no worse than checking out the work of Australian-born Peter Weir, who was a leading figure in Australian New Wave cinema. His multi-award nominated and winning 1985 neo-noir crime drama Witness, which focuses on the Amish, remains one of his most beloved films. Much of what we spoke of in regards to Eric, his life, work and passion can be researched further at RaidersGuys.com and AzaleDetours.com. You can purchase the documentary, books, t-shirts and more. His local not-for-profit is the Mary C. O'Keefe Cultural Centre for Art and Education. His local library is Ocean Springs Library. Make the dream real and get yourself a little piece of the Raiders guys' history. The city of Clarksdale, located at the intersection of highways 61 and 49, aka the crossroads, and the surrounding Delta region are known as the land where the blues began. Since its creation, the Delta Blues Museum has preserved, interpreted and encouraged a deep interest in the story of the blues. Established in 1979 and reorganised as a standalone museum in 1999, the Delta Blues Museum is the state's oldest music museum. Vicksburg National Military Park preserves the site of the American Civil War Battle of Vicksburg, waged from March 29 to July 4, 1863. Reconstructed forts and trenches evoke memories of the 47-day siege that ended in the surrender of the city. Victory here and at Port Hudson further south in Louisiana gave the Union control of the mighty Mississippi River. Now, on Oprah, Britney and Elvis... Oh, come on, you know who they are. If you're an artist, singer, musician, creative, etc., do yourself a favour and do a little bit of research. Your jaw will drop at the creative wellspring that is Mississippi. There's just so much. So I throw at the dartboard. Eudora Alice Welty was an American short story writer, novelist and photographer who wrote about the American South. Her novel, The Optimist's Daughter, won the Pulitzer Prize in 1973. Welty received numerous awards, including the Presidential Medal of Freedom. George Edgar Orr, spelled O-H-R, the so-called Mad Potter of Biloxi, was a wild, inventive ceramic artist in the late 19th and early 20th centuries. Largely misunderstood at the time, today Orr is recognised as a major pioneer of American ceramics. Frank Gehry designed a museum in his name and his works can be found on display at the Metropolitan Museum of Art and the Smithsonian. Biloxi Blues 
It portrays the tribulations of Arnold Epstein, one of many privates enlisted in the military stationed in Biloxi, Mississippi, and it forms part of Neil Simon's semi-autobiographical Eugene trilogy, including the wonderful Brighton Beach memoirs and Broadway Bound. Born on the 4th of July, 1927, Marvin Neil Simon was an American playwright, screenwriter and author. He wrote more than 30 plays and nearly the same number of movie screenplays, mostly adaptations of his plays. He has received more combined Oscar and Tony Award nominations than any other writer. The Gulf of Mexico is an ocean basin and a marginal sea of the Atlantic Ocean, largely surrounded by the North American continent. Hurricane Katrina. In 2005, the storm caused more than 1,800 deaths pummeling the coasts of Mississippi and Louisiana, affecting 90,000 square miles, 233,000 square kilometres of land. 80% of New Orleans was flooded, poor neighbourhoods and people of colour were most vulnerable. Katrina remains the costliest hurricane at some $161 billion, as well as one of the worst overall disasters in US history. Then August 2020. Hurricane Marco was the first of two tropical cyclones to again threaten the Gulf Coast within a three-day period, the other being Hurricane Laura. Thankfully, Marco fizzled out, relatively speaking, with a landfall, winds of up to 40 miles or 64 kilometres per hour. However, Laura slammed into southern Louisiana as a Category 4 hurricane, bringing an intensity not seen in the region for more than a decade. At Laura's peak strength, the storm packed 150 mile, 240 kilometre per hour winds when it crossed the coast. It's one thing to have a record number of storms with names, but in 2020, the US is on a record pace for the number of these named storms to actually make landfall. The oil spill was a man-made disaster that occurred when Exxon Valdez, an oil tanker owned by the Exxon Shipping Company, spilled 11 million gallons, 50 million litres, of crude oil into Alaska's Prince William Sound on March 24, 1989. It was the worst oil spill in US history until the Deepwater Horizon oil spill in 2010. The Exxon Valdez oil slick covered 1,300 miles, over 200 kilometres of coastline and killed hundreds of thousands of seabirds, otters, seals and whales. To this day, pockets of crude oil remain in some locations. And in geography, a sound is a large sea or ocean inlet deeper than a bite and wider than a fjord or a narrow sea or ocean channel between two bodies of land. Yep, <laughs> there is a distinct lack of consistency in the use of sound in English language place names. Pascagoula River, about 80 miles or 130 kilometers long in southeastern Mississippi. The river drains an area of about 8,800 square miles or 22,790 square kilometers and flows into Mississippi Sound of the Gulf of Mexico often called the Singing River. According to legend, the peace-loving Pascagoula Indian tribes sang as they walked hand in hand into the river to avoid fighting with the invading Biloxi tribe. It is said that on quiet nights you can still hear them singing their death chant. Cajuns are the French colonists who settled the Canadian maritime provinces, Nova Scotia and New Brunswick in the 1600s. Cajun and Creole foods are both native to Louisiana and they can be found in restaurants throughout New Orleans. However, there are some subtle differences between the two cuisine types. Creole food typically uses tomatoes and tomato-based sauces, while traditional Cajun food does not. Gumbo is a soup popular in the US state of Louisiana and is the official state cuisine. 
Gumbo consists primarily of a strongly flavoured stock, meat or shellfish, a thickener and three kinds of vegetables, celery, bell peppers and onions. Gulf Shrimp versus Regular Shrimp While the simple explanation is that the former come from the Gulf of Mexico and the latter come from the Atlantic Ocean, this is not the end of their definition. Indeed, Gulf Shrimp are actually shrimp from warm climates, while Atlantic Shrimp are shrimp from cooler climates. So Gulf Shrimp, which comes in brown, white and pink, are commercially important to both the United States and Mexico. They are found along the southeastern US coast, as far north as Maryland and along the entire western Gulf, particularly on Mexico's Campeche banks. Several census have shown 0.2% of the Mississippi population is indeed made up of Vietnamese immigrants. Following on from Eric's scrumptious description of the po' boy, Barks. It's an American soft drink. Its brand of root beer is notable for having caffeine. It was created by Edward Bark, spelled B-A-R-Q, bottled since the beginning of the 20th century, and it was also known as Bark's famous old-time root beer until 2012. Mary Mahoney's Old French House, 110 Rue Magnolia, Biloxi, Mississippi, 39530. Nana J's Soulful Kitchen, 6512 Washington Avenue, Ocean Springs, Mississippi, 39564. The Shed Barbecue and Blues Joint, 7501 MS57, Ocean Springs, Mississippi, 39565. Marge, they got Mississippi mud pie. The Hatch Act of 1939, an act to prevent pernicious political activities, is a United States federal law. Its main provision prohibits civil service employees in the executive branch of the federal government, except the president and vice president, from engaging in some forms of political activity. And boy, is it getting a workout in this current political climate. Fascism. Governmental system led by a dictator having complete power, forcibly suppressing opposition and criticism, regimenting all industry, commerce, etc., and emphasising an aggressive nationalism and often racism. Nationalism is an idea and movement that promotes the interest of a particular nation, as in a group of people, especially with the aim of gaining and maintaining the nation's sovereignty or self-governance over its homeland. It also encourages pride in national achievements and is closely linked to patriotism. Colin Powell is an American politician, diplomat and retired four-star general who served as the 65th United States Secretary of State from 2001 to 2005. A member of the Republican Party, Powell was the first African-American Secretary of State. And if I was to simplify it, which is a dangerous thing to do when it comes to politics, a politician is said to cross the floor if they change their party allegiance. Crossing the floor may mean changing to a second party after being elected as a member of a first party or simply voting against the approved party lines. Red Blue Old Glory Part 3 The Animals Why do Republicans use the symbol of an elephant? The Republican Party was formed in 1854. Six years later, Abraham Lincoln became its first member elected to the White House. An image of an elephant was featured as a Republican symbol in at least one political cartoon during the Civil War when the expression, seeing the elephant, was used by soldiers experiencing combat. But the symbol didn't start to take hold until German-born Thomas Nast, who's considered the father of the modern political cartoon, used it in an 1874 Harper's Weekly illustration. Rumours abounded for a Ulysses Grant presidential third-term bid, sounds familiar, and was mocked. Nast's cartoons portrayed various interest groups as animals, including an elephant, labelled the Republican Vote, which was shown standing at the edge of a pit. The third-term panic indeed. 
Nast employed the elephant to represent Republicans in additional cartoons, and by 1880, other cartoonists were using the creature to symbolise the party. Not all of Nast's work was about politics, though. He's also credited with creating the modern image of Santa Claus. Why do Democrats use the symbol of a donkey? Tune into part four at the end of the next episode to find out more. Check out a podcast by Kirk Hamilton called Strong Songs. Music to your ears, pun intended. Check out the book Trump on Trial by Kevin Sullivan and Mary Jordan, available through Simon & Schuster. This podcast could not have been produced without the assistance of my long-distance spiritual guru extraordinaire Vanessa Hart-Miller. My American Friend, Episode 3, Eric, was recorded August 30, 2020. Please reach out. Send me an email, info at valman, that's V-A-L-M-A-N, dot com, dot A-U. Thank you for listening. Thank you.